money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now, we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome, Welcome to Tilly, Tilly Money. As a self-described activist in corporate clothing, Kirsten Hunter is the CEO of value-driven company Future Super. As CEO, Kirsten now delivers numerous initiatives to transform women's super, fight the funding of fossil fuel industries and support clean energy. We, we exist as a company to build a prosperous future free from climate change and inequality for our members and we do that using the power of money and the way we invest, advocate and campaign for a future worth retiring into. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Kirsten, welcome to Tilly Money. Thank you for having me. For want of better description, you are a Cape Crusader and I love that kind of thing because you're obviously tackling some challenges that that uh, and some embedded um, issues that need to be addressed about mm. women in super. But before we even go there, Kirsten, tell us about you. What did you learn about money when you were in those formative years growing up? Yeah, look, I was a child in the 90s recession, the recession that we had to yep. have in Australia. And so my first experience of money was actually helping my parents. Uh, we were doing letterbox deliveries, delivering junk mail to sort okay. of get a bit of extra money for the family. And my younger brother and sister and I used to help mum and dad with the letterbox deliveries. And we got two cents for each delivery that we put in a mailbox. Okay. And so that's the first time I remember being conscious of money and being conscious of the link between doing something and getting money in return and mm. also what that meant for me as a you know as a young child being mm. able to save up those two cent increments and mm. what it enabled me to buy so your parents were giving you a real value value based lesson that you'll get your two cents but you've got to work for it yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure they intended it as a values-based no. lesson. I think it was more a Extra. time of desperation for our family. <laughs> uh, but certainly that that experience has really struck stuck with me. It's a good one, yeah. So during those years, um, there are lots of things that we can address at some, some other stage because we're all influenced by those early years. But when did you sense the importance of superannuation? Because, Kirsten, it's often something that retirement and normally that's the only time you can access super except you know exceptional circumstances retirement's such a long way off for most most people but it does go quick you know in the blink of an eye you're there um when did you get this sense that superannuation is important because a lot of people just put it to one side and to be honest I was probably one of those people as mm -hmm. well um, the first time I remember really thinking about superannuation was actually probably I was about sort of five or six years into my working life. Okay. And by that point, I'd gathered up a collection of superannuation funds from my various hospitality and, mm -hmm. you know, 
part-time legal jobs. So you had a number of funds. Yeah, yeah I had yep. a number of funds. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, hearing about uh, the idea of ethical superannuation at that time mm. and just thinking, oh, that's something that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. Um, and going through the process at that time, it was paper forms and certified copies of your ID to consolidate mm. my super into a single account that yes. was uh, had environmental screening mm. as part of it. And so... Yeah, prior to that, it wasn't something that I thought about. It was something that I knew existed and I was sort of noticing um, over the previous years this increasing collection of letters that I was getting from other super Mm -hmm. funds, but it wasn't something that was really relevant to my life. So I see or I hear two things what you're saying there, Kirsten. One is the very important aspect that you wanted to be in control of where your super money was invested. So that's the environmental aspect because otherwise you could have been in things that were anti your philosophy. But tell us uh, about why having too many funds. What's the disadvantage of that? The disadvantage of having multiple super funds is that you end up paying multiple sets of fees. Mm -hmm. And so each of those funds is taking usually a percentage-based fee and a fixed dollar fee. Mm. And if you've got more than one fund, then you're paying more than one set of fees, which Mm. ultimately um, normally results in a decreased balance over time. It's all those fees eating away at your balance. Exactly. What I actually found when I did get around to consolidating was a couple of the accounts that I'd had for a long time that were quite inactive, the balances had been run down so much that I was actually able to just cash them out without even consolidating them into a single superannuation account. So, you know, at the time that felt like a great win. Yes, uh, (laughs) yeah, nice wad of cash. Exactly. But but actually it was sort of a sign that those balances had been eroded by the fees that I was paying and Mm. I just wasn't even aware that that was happening. Because I guess when you're young, you take on a lot of casual jobs or you might even have a full-time job and a, a casual job, you know, in hospitality on the side. And there's a lack of awareness that in the past things are changing and we want to talk about those changes either today or down the track. But they, you weren't even aware that you had. You were in one fund for your part-time job or as perhaps a waiter. You were in another fund if you were doing some cleaning. Would that be correct? Yeah, that's mm. right. And I think it's a little bit easier now. Most, um, most employers will use you know, online HR onboarding systems. And if you're at a computer filling out your new forms for your new job, it's a bit easier to dig around and find your superannuation yes. details. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was going through my casual job uh, stage of my life, it was all paper forms. Yeah. So my experience was filling out a new paper form. Oh, I don't have my super fund details. I'll just go with the default fund of what my employer's offering. Yeah, that's right. So in terms of those working years, those formative working years, fill us in on that. What were you doing? Not necessarily so much the casual jobs, but where did you get your start? Uh, My, I mean, my first sort of job that I really cared about actually did happen while I was at university. I was elected to the union board uh, at at UNSW Mm -hmm. and I spent a term as vice president and then president and during that period I took um, I took leave of study and just focused on that job so I mean it's a job in a very loose sense the pay was uh, very very low (laughs) Um, but it was full-time and for me it was just such a great experience of getting to lead a company and lead a business that has a really impactful purpose so mm. um, you know the the student union was responsible for all of the student clubs the bars the food outlets on campus and so I really got that connection between 
the the business that I was running and the impact that the students experienced, mm. but also the impact that the staff who were doing that mm. work experienced. And while they weren't students, they loved their jobs. Yes. And for me, that was just such a powerful uh, motivator and really changed the course of my career to mm. understand that business can play that role both for the people you're serving, but also for the people who work mm. for you. Because having been um, at the University of New South Wales, and um, I, I did a couple of degrees there when I was younger, but um, it's a pretty active union down there too, yes. yes. Mm. So, so you would have had your hands full with lots of work during that time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I, my term as president coincided with the voluntary student unionism legislation that mm -hmm. came through, which for our organisation um, meant that we lost sort of 30% of our revenue straight up. And so I, I also had the experience as a, you know, mid 20 year old of leading a business through a time of great organisational change. Mm. Um, we had to restructure the whole company um, and figure out how to survive in this new environment with mm. less revenue. So, so many things that I learned out of that experience that I just really carry forward. Well, it's almost like those learnings could be applied to this whole COVID experience of 2020, you know, mm. revenue down and having to survive. So I think that might have stood you in good stead for, for what you're doing now. But before we get to what you're doing now, so you're doing the work at UNSW. Where does Future Super start? Take us through those years. Yeah, so from university, I, I ended up changing after my period as union president and I studied law, spent a couple of okay. years working as a lawyer at Freehills um, and then moved to become a management consultant with Bain & Company. And I worked at Bain for around six years, oh. really focused in financial services strategy, worked in Australia and Canada. Um, and I loved that job. And actually what was common out of both of those two jobs, and I think, again, sort of coming from that experience of... Uh, seeing the connection between business and purpose was I was always really motivated to see the way my corporate skills could be used to help the community. Mm -hmm. So when I was a lawyer, I volunteered for the Aboriginal Trust Fund remuneration scheme mm -hmm. and ran a couple of cases for claimants to help them mm -hmm. get access to their lost wages. Um, and then when I was at Bain, I, I ran social return on investment projects. I did some work with Oz Harvest. Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate to be able to set up a new global partnership between Bain and an organisation called Girls 20. And so I had this really great experience where I had my corporate job and then I had these great opportunities to take those skills and volunteer for pro bono organisations. Um, what changed for me, though, was once I had my baby and I came back to work part time, I couldn't make that time juggle work mm. anymore. I didn't have the time anymore to be doing volunteer projects on top of my corporate day job. Mm. And without that, I just found that my energy for the corporate mm. day job just started to, you know, it started to really run down. Um, and then and this, at the same and this is what a lot of women face, mm. you know, so what you've got is this very active university student doing wonderful things with Ronnie Khan at Oz Harvest, you know, being very active. And then this baby comes along and you love them to death, but it's a life-changing experience. Um, would you agree? Or oh, I, 100%. You know, and for me, you know, I, I went back to work at Bain part-time um, and I had tremendous support. Uh, I was part of the first ever client-facing job share partnership at mm. my level. Um, you know, amazing support to come back to work with while maintaining um, a really strong relationship with my child. 
Um, but all I could manage in my life was being great at my job and being a great parent. There was no opportunity for volunteering on top of that. No, nothing else. Yeah, and then the other thing as well that really changed for me was, you know, you're sitting up late at night with a newborn and there's plenty of time to be scrolling. And at that time there was just like a flurry of information about climate change and Mm. the IPCC reports. And I started doing the, what in hindsight is very basic maths and thinking, 2040 is when mm. we're talking about these effects and this little tiny person is going to be mm. 26 years old. Yes. You know, she's going to be younger than I Very am right much, now yeah, and affected. she's going to be, mm. yeah, the world she's going to live in and her opportunities are going to be shaped mm. by climate change mm. and here I am mm. <laughs> spending all of my time doing something that doesn't contribute to changing that future and it mm. really sort of just shocked me out of that you know, cognitive dissonance of what I do in my day job is fine but what I do in my volunteering you know, makes mm. up for it kind of thing. Um, And so at that point, I really started looking around for work that would enable me to have a bit more purpose in my my day-to-day. And I heard about Future Super. I'd been interested in Ethical Super for a number of years after sort of the first main entrant in the market uh, launched. And um, uh, my job share partner actually knew Simon, who was one of the Future Super co-founders. And Mm. so I got an introduction to him started doing a little bit of just casual advisory work, helping out with some strategy sessions, Mm. that kind of thing. Um, That led to an offer to join the team on a short-term basis. Mm. So I uh, took leave from Bain for six months and Mm. went and worked at Future Super. And halfway through that, we converted it to permanent. And so that was nearly four years ago now. Mm. I came across in the role of Chief Operating Officer and then just over the years that followed um, have moved into uh, my my role as CEO. Fantastic. So So tell us a little bit more um, about Future Super. What was its mission statement? What was it? Simon was one of the original founders. Um, mm, yeah, so so Simon Sheik and Adam Verway are the two original co-founders. They actually met running for parliament in 2013 okay, in okay. the year when the, um, the carbon trading le- legislation was, you know, the hot topic of that election. And the two of them were running for the Senate and looking to secure, uh, running for running for Parliament, Simon in the Senate, Adam in the House, and looking for ways to influence the decision around whether or not that legislation would be repealed. Um, in not getting elected, they then went back to the drawing board and thought, what else can we do? Well, you know, there's a big funding opportunity here. And there's also this global divestment movement happening around the world where, um, you know, there's campaigning pressure being put on money managers to get their money out of fossil fuels. But in Australia, there was nothing that existed uh, in the superannuation space that was a fully divested um, uh, investment option. And so we had all of these people in Australia who were mobilised for this election, fighting to keep the climate change legislation in place, but their superannuation savings, which for many people in Australia is their biggest asset Mm, that they have, were invested in a way that was sort of counteracting the great work that they were doing in their campaigning life. And so the idea for Future Super was really born out of that. Um, we we exist as a company to build a prosperous future free from climate change and inequality for our members, and we do that using the power of money and the way we invest, advocate and campaign for a future worth retiring into. So you're not so much collecting um, people's super, like, say, um, Aussie Super or um, any other one of the industry funds or, or private funds, but is Future Super more of a lobby group? 
No, we're, we're absolutely superannuation company first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we do differently to the other super funds is we really take our responsibility as a manager of our mm-hmm. members' money for the long term very seriously. So for us to deliver on our purpose of giving our members a prosperous future free from climate change and inequality, we need to think not just about the returns that we deliver for them. Obviously, they're crucially important and our investment decisions are made for the sole purpose of delivering outcomes for members in retirement. But the world that's going to exist for those members by the time they're old enough to spend that money also impacts on whether that future for them is going to be prosperous. Mm. And so we we know that the, you know, we could be managing a member's money for 20, 40, 50 years. Um, and the investment decisions that we make with that money today is going to shape the world that they'll retire mm-hmm. into. So, so much of superannuation in Australia is propping up the failing fossil fuel industry. Mm. It's invested in tobacco, alcohol, gaming. Um, airlines, you know, all of these industries that are sort of leading to a degraded environment and social ills versus what we do is we screen out all of those industries that have a negative impact on the environment and on communities and instead we look to things that, um, you know, that don't have that negative impact and even have a positive impact instead. Is it a challenge to get the understanding from the public at large majority of whom have superannuation, that there's trillions of dollars of superannuation money is invested in companies that have a negative impact, whether that be through climate or health, like smoking or whatever. What's the challenge there like? I mean, the challenge is very real and it exists on a a couple of fronts. I think The first real challenge is a disconnect between that sense of, you know, this decision being one that is relevant to me today, as opposed to this is something I can worry about in 50 years when I retire. Um, And uh, so that's part of it. Part of it, I think, is just there's this kind of almost entrenched apathy within the superannuation industry, which leads to this situation like I was talking about Mm -hmm. before with people with multiple accounts where it's almost like the major players in superannuation in Australia have an incentive to keep members disengaged because Mm -hmm. if they teach their members about superannuation and help them understand the decisions they're making, they might make a decision not to invest with them. Mm. And I think you can see that in a lot of ways, the complexity of superannuation sort of onboarding documentation, Mm. the fact that majority of the industry doesn't disclose what they invest their members' money into and for members who do try and find out that information... Um, you know, they have to work so, so hard to get an answer Mm. from their super funds. It's clearly not an industry that is working to empower its members to make Mm. a good financial decision. So we really try and flip that on its head and help people understand um, the that superannuation is an asset that they own a part of Mm. and that their decision about what they do with that asset can shape the world that's going to exist. Not only that, I think, but, you know, for better or worse, we live in a capitalist society and money makes the world go round, but superannuation is the biggest pool of money we have in Australia and each of us control a part of that. Mm. So by acting together and making an investment decision that aligns with our values, as a community, we can shift the way that money is invested to shape the future that we want to have. So influential. I guess in many ways, Kirsten, that super has been something, as we said earlier, super has been something that has been such a disinterested thing. I mean, I think there was a Larson cartoon and it had a couple of dogs, you know, um, leaving a home and they were talking about 
oh, the dinner party was going so well until someone brought up that boring topic of superannuation. <laughs> but if someone was talking about money itself, they probably wouldn't, or a property, they probably wouldn't think that was boring. But this superannuation topic has worn this kind of cloak of boredom, but it's it's your money mm. first up, mm. and then it's where it's invested, so it's attached to your philosophy second. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, again, you know, we've really uh, spent a lot of time thinking about this challenge uh, at Future Super because, you know, as I said, superannuation, biggest pool of money in Australia, $3 trillion almost sitting there. Um, that is enough on its mm. own to fully fund our transition to a, a renewable energy economy 10 times over. Mm. You know, the money is just sitting there and we can make a decision about where it is invested. Um, but as you say, people think super's boring. It's too mm. hard to understand. It's not something I need to think about until I, until I retire. Um, and so we've really focused on changing that conversation from superannuation is something for the future to mm. superannuation is a decision that I can make now. Yeah. And it mm. it is an an act of taking control of your power and taking mm. that power back and making a, an informed decision about the world that you want to retire into and using your superannuation to, to fund that world. Mm, without a doubt. And superannuation is becoming so much more important in people's lives. And again, for young people, they see this thing in your 20s where you might be retiring in your 60s as, oh, I'm not interested in it. But with the shrinking involvement of government, potentially the shrinking government purse, the ability to self-fund and live off your money is a reality more than ever before. So the need to understand your super more than ever before is increasing as well. Is that right? Mm. Oh, definitely. I think I think you know there's there's so much riding on people understanding their superannuation, consolidating their accounts, thinking forward to the world that's going to exist when they retire, and making sure that they're ready for it and that their superannuation is going to be enough to support them. Mm. Um, but I think on top of that as well, it's helping people understand the just the pure scale of the superannuation industry. I mean, I think at the latest figures, superannuation funds own, you know, a little under 40% of all of the shares on the stock market in mm. Australia. And what that means is that super funds are the biggest shareholders yes. in our biggest companies. Yes. Chances mm. are, if you're a young person, the company you work for, mm. its biggest shareholder is a super fund. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that super funds decisions and the way it votes as a shareholder can impact the way you're treated as an employee. So it really, it all connects together. And the type of corporate behaviour that we expect from the companies that super funds invest mm. in is determined by the way those super funds vote. And mm. so I think, you know, that's another thing that we really try and do is we're fully transparent with what we invest in and how mm. we vote as a shareholder so that our members can see those decisions, hold us to account for it, but also members of other super funds can look to future super in the way we uh, disclose that information and take that to their own super fund and say, hang on, why aren't you mm -hmm. telling me how you're voting on my behalf in, in these climate change resolutions that are coming up in corporate AGMs? Mm, so important. So for anyone listening, our focus, and we're going to specifically talk about women and super, but our focus is not exclusively for women, but um, in a more than happy to listen to uh, these interviews and podcasts and videos we have on uh, Tilly Money, but our focus is on women. And I was in an editorial meeting yesterday where there were men and women in the room and we asked them um, 
does anyone, there's, you know, a big spike in the share market, you know, post the US election. And, uh, and we said, you know, anyone, you know, benefit from the spike? And anyone got shares? It was a general question. A couple of people said yes. I wanted to say, in hindsight, you've all got shares. Mm. You've all got super. You've all got them, you know, just because you're not directly going and buying Qantas or buying, you know, Commonwealth Bank or whatever. Someone's somewhere in your super. They could be there depending on, you know, which super fund you're in. But mm. So let's narrow into women. Mm-hmm. What's your experience from being involved in super, now being CEO of Future Super, there is a situation where women have potentially been discriminated against in the superannuation area. Tell us more about that. What are you seeing, you know, in terms of women's attitude to super, women's understanding of super, or indeed women building their super? Over to you, Kirsten. Mm, it's a great question. And, I mean, my experience... Um, you know, with our future super members has been that women are very well aware of their superannuation and the fact that they are disadvantaged by the superannuation system. And I think in the last sort of, I don't know, five years or so, there's so much more that's being shared about it in, you know, parents groups, that kind of thing. I see a lot of people talking about, you know, when you're taking time out of work to have children, what you can do to keep your super balance healthy, that sort of thing. So I think the problem's not with the women. I think the problem is with the fact that we've set up our superannuation system in a way that is tied to the employment market mm. and the employment market fundamentally disadvantages women. Mm. Um, women in Australia are far less likely to reach the most senior ranks of companies and you can see that in the numbers of female directors and female managers. Um, they're far more likely to be the ones who take time out of the workforce to care for children or elderly relatives and they're far more likely when they return to come back in a part-time basis Mm. and when your retirement system is built around a percentage of income and the employment market disadvantages women uh, and results in them getting less income um, the result of that naturally is a retirement gap for women in Australia Mm. exactly and so I think um, I think there's you know, we try and think about this across a couple of levels. We think about it uh, for future super employees. What can we do to make sure that the women who work for us are not set up to follow the same pathway? So we introduced a couple of policies to pay for superannuation for any parent, regardless of gender, who takes time off to care for children or relatives. Um, we, we, for people who are working part-time, because they're part-time carers, we pay their super at 100%. Um, and for anyone who earns below a certain income threshold at Future Super, we pay them an extra percent of mm. superannuation into account into their accounts. So that's an example of us sort of, you, mm. you know, You're talking the talk bit. exactly mm. for mm. our staff and using the way we treat our staff as an example for other companies to follow. Um, we think about this for our members as well, and we've introduced an initiative called Baby Bump, which is a, a waiver of the fixed fee component of the fees for any future super members, again, regardless of gender, who take time out to care for children, they can get a rebate on their fees. Um, and then as a member of the business community, we do a lot of advocacy work around uh, gender equality in leadership. Uh, with our investment decisions, we we exclude any companies that have all-male boards, so mm-hmm. we won't invest in companies that have all-male boards. And we've also, uh, in the past, done some research into the gender pay gap in the mm-hmm. ASX 100 and looking at the... Uh, Wajia reporting of the ASX 100 and their gender pay gap and providing outreach and advice to those companies to help them address their own gender pay gap issues. 
Tell us a bit more about the screening. So you, in terms of um, total board of men, that's a screening process that you do. So in that case, that company could be off the list. Um, the um, gender pay gap, again, you research into that. So Future Super must be pretty active in its screening process. Tell yeah, us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. I mean, we have an amazing team uh, who are fully focused on making sure that the investment screens that we apply to everything that we invest in with our members' money meets those ethical standards. Mm -hmm. And not only, you know, we, we do this on a, you know, a, an annual basis for a couple of the products that have an annual sort of rebalancing um, rhythm, but we also review the companies that we're invested in on a monthly basis as well in case things change. So when it comes to gender screening in the investment decisions, we do we do screen out companies that have all-male boards. Um, and the reason for that is economic as well as ethical. Um, there's a lot of research that shows that greater diversity on boards leads to better performance for the company. And so as a manager of our members' money, we, we need to make sure that but companies who, yeah, who ignore that research and who are leaving money on the table because they're not willing to make changes to bring diversity to their boards, they don't meet the standard for mm. our members' investment. And so that's a process that we undertake across all of our investments. For companies that we invest in that might have a change in their board and mm. that sees them end up in a position where they have all men on the board, uh, we go through an engagement process with those companies where we'll reach out, um, we'll alert them to the issue, provide some information about it and ask them for a timeline to address the issue. Um, and we've had a number of companies who we have invested in historically who have used that engagement to bring diversity to their board. Mm. But the flip side of that is if they're not willing to or not able to within the timeline agreed, then we will take our members' money out of those investments. Mm -hmm. Interesting. We mentioned the word performance there. So how does Future Super's performance, because most people like returns to be, if not matching other funds, be superior to them. So how does Future Super's performance stack up against other funds? It's a really great question and definitely something that people should be aware of. There's a myth in superannuation that you have to give up returns in order to invest ethically. Um, and that has sort of been disproven in research time and time again. For Future Super, um, I mean, one of the really amazing things to come out of this coronavirus crisis is that ethical investment funds and Future Super in particular have really outperformed during this period. And it's because of the ethics in the screening. So we don't invest in, um, in fossil fuel companies, in service providers to the fossil fuel companies, which include the big banks in Australia. We don't invest in airlines. We don't invest in, you know, gaming, all of these industries that have really been hit hard by, uh, by the pandemic. And so our members have been shielded from those mm. losses because of the ethics in the investment. So for Future Super, we, um, we have been in the top 10 uh, investment options for super ratings for the, you know, for the balance category that we that our investment options sit in for the last three months straight. And we were number one for the 12 months to the end of financial year. So it has been an incredible um, an incredible endorsement, I think, of the ethics and the, the investment strategy behind what we do at Future Super, that when times are turbulent and the markets are turbulent, that 
we have really seen the benefit of that investment strategy. But we do make all of our returns available on our website for anyone to jump on and have a look. And that will sort of, that will uh, break it, the returns down by the investment option as well as the different time periods as well. So members or potential members can always have a look and see how our, our investment options are performing. And it's something certainly at Tilly Money we're trying to say, you know, compare performance so there's one thing, it's the actual return and then it's the philosophy of those investments that we'll be stressing all the time on telly money. But on the website, you mentioned that word, so that's a perfect segue for me. Apparently there's a graph on your website that I will confess and be transparent and say that I'm yet to see, but apparently it's an amazing graph and it shows, um, illustrates the impact that investing in future super has over living car-free, living uh, a vegan lifestyle and also recycling. Tell us about tell us about that graph. I'm going to be checking it out after yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. This no, um, on an annual basis. Well, I should say on an annual basis for the last two years. But uh, but we have been um, looking across our whole whole portfolio at Future Super and trying to get a view for our members of what the impact that they have uh, created by moving their money to Future Super. Mm -hmm. So we use um, tonnes of carbon produced as a metric because that's the information that's available sure. today. Mm -hmm. And so we compare the impact of a, an average member's balance in investing with Future Super compared to um, a, a fund, an average fund that, you know, we create a benchmark which um, assumes that the fund they're moving from in order to move to Future Super doesn't have an ethical screening component. Mm. Um, and so we, we put it beside the those sort of um, things you mentioned earlier, going car-free, recycling, living a plant-based lifestyle, because these are some of the things that we often hear people doing in order to minimise their carbon footprint. And what's really powerful about putting the impact that you can have by making these daily sacrifices in your life against the very simple decision to take control of your superannuation and make sure it's invested ethically is that the the financial decision is just huge compared mm -hmm. to those things. Um, and the really amazing thing is it doesn't have to be either or. You can have your super invested ethically and have a plant-based lifestyle, recycle, minimise your use of cars and so really dramatically increase the amount of impact that you're able to have in terms of the reduction of carbon. Is it a challenge though trying to balance off um, investing in ethical companies and getting returns for members? Um, I mean I wouldn't necessarily say it's a challenge. Um, I mean of course it's a challenge. Investing is a challenge at any time. Mm. Particularly um, during a pandemic. Particularly mm. during mm. a pandemic exactly but no I mean I don't think it's a greater challenge than investing without an mm. ethical um, an, an ethical overlay. There's obviously additional work that we go to in order to build our ethical screens and then determine which companies fall foul of those screens that we won't consider and therefore build an investment universe that we can consider. But once we've done that step of the process, the same we use the same, the same kind of approaches to making investment decisions as any other investment manager. Uh, in the country would, which would be around, you know, looking at the market outlook for that industry, looking at the performance of the particular company. Um, and so really, I think the amount of effort to add an additional layer around the ethical screening um, doesn't significantly add to the work of a portfolio. Mm. And with all of the evidence increasingly coming out around how funds with strong environmental, social and governance screens perform better in a long term compared to a benchmark, so renewable Oh, sorry, Responsible Investment Association of Austra mm -hmm. Australasia, RIA is their acronym. They produce a benchmarking report every year which shows that 
funds with strong ESG screening criteria outperform the benchmark over the long term. Um, you know, it's sort of almost a question for me of why other money managers aren't considering um, environmental, social and governance factors when there is this building body of evidence which mm-hmm. shows that it does have an impact. Um, and I think more and more the, the, the looming presence of climate change is forcing investment managers to think differently, um, you know. And, and people, you know, individuals forcing them as well, putting pressure on them to give them, you know, environmentally um, good investment options. Mm. I mean, it, it comes from basically demand in lots of ways. And the if the awareness is raised by investors, the company has no choice. So that's... Part of, part of the solution is to raise awareness mm. with investors. Am I off beam in that comment? No, or, mm. I mean, like, it would be amazing in Australia if the government would lead the way mm. when it comes to making sure that managers of money take climate change risk into consideration. But you did mention we're a capitalist society. We are a capitalist society, Governments exactly. don't tend to interfere whether we think they should or not. That's the nature of capitalism. Mm, That's correct. And so in the absence of that, I think you can see these pockets within the economy where climate change risk is very prevalent. Mm. I mean, insurers have been thinking about this for years because with storms increasing and droughts increasing, they're experiencing the economic impact of climate change on their business model today. Mm -hmm. And so they're really having to take climate change effects into account. Um, and I think more and more you're seeing investors thinking about the the impact of what they do with their members' money um, in the short term as well as in the long term. I think that's really important. And then really interestingly in Australia just in the last week we've had the settlement of the case where a young man in Brisbane, Mark McVeigh, sued mm. his superannuation fund REST for failing to disclose what they were doing mm. with regard to... Um, the decision-making they were making with his money uh, and how climate change was going to impact his money. And what so, was the outcome of that? Uh, well, the outcome was that the, the case didn't go to trial, but it was settled in advance, and REST has agreed to uh, make greater disclosures about climate mm-hmm. change um, and to make more information available to members about what they're invested in and that decision-making process. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's exactly the... The situation I was talking about before, this young guy is in his 20s. Mm. Um, he's looking to rest to manage his money for the next 40-odd years. Yeah. And in that time frame, all of the science suggests that climate change effects are going to be very real and very present. So it's not just a matter of, um, you know, and, and those effects of climate change will affect the economy and the output of the companies that his superannuation fund is investing his money mm. in. Without a doubt. And good good um, activists there. Mm. Um, we can point the finger at government. We can point the finger at super funds, you know, being ignorant or, you know, just doing what they want to with people's money. But at the end of the day, responsibility also lays in the hands of the individual. What do you wish people knew more about super? You know, how, how can people um, know more about super? What can they know? What should they know? I mean, I think the the simplest thing that I wish everyone realised about superannuation was, one, that a chunk of it is theirs, mm-hmm. and two, they can make a decision about where it's invested, and then three, that that decision has power and mm-hmm. that has an impact uh, not just on the world that's going to exist by the time you retire, but on the world that's going to exist today. Mm. Well, we would love to work with you on Tilly Money 
to help raise that awareness because to some extent we can't change government, we can by our votes, but to some extent we can't quickly change um, corporate mentality, but we can change individuals and, uh, and that's where we'd like to work in the future with Future Super, mm. Kirsten, but there's lots of questions that I could ask you, um, lots of things that we do want women to know, women, all, all people, but particularly women, um, to boost their super, but I want to focus back on Kirsten now. Mm -hmm. So what's the best investment that you've ever made? It doesn't have to be, oh, I bought a house, it could. It, I mean, we've had things like someone said, I bought a dog and it changed my life. What's the, what's the greatest, the best, the most valuable investment you've ever made in your life? I haven't made a lot of big investments, um, but I think the biggest investment that I have made has been one of investing in my own sort of growth yeah. and development mm. and, and leadership really as well. And I think um, being really focused not just on the job that I'm doing, but how I am doing it has really enabled me to grow as a leader, but also grow, I think, um, in confidence to be able to question the system that exists around us. And mm. I think, um, you know, so many people just accept the system that we live in and the status quo and don't ask those questions, mm. but there's real power in mm. seeing that system and questioning why it is. Mm, very true. Let's go back to that young woman at the University of New South Wales, active, you know, full of change and great ideas and, and doing things um, to ensure that uh, our futures are better. If you could go back and tell that young woman, not that there's too many years between that and now, um, where you are now, Kirsten, but if you could say something to her, something that perhaps you've learned in your life, and we always preface this by saying, if she'd listen. <laughs> so <laughs> what would that be? Uh, I think the most valuable thing that I've learned over my career is that everyone's just making it up as they go mm, along yeah. um, and no one has all of the answers. So, mm. you know, we all feel this sense of imposter syndrome around who am I to ask these questions, make these decisions, but everyone else feels that as well. Mm. So once I realised that, it took away a lot of my intimidation about asking questions, making decisions and pushing for change within mm. the companies I was working in. Mm. Sounds like you're just being real. Mm. No, nobody knows. In fact, Wisdom says that there's a great quote in um, by someone who had lived a number of years and in, was learned and, you know, up there as an expert in many ways. But his line was, in knowing so much, I've come to know how little I do know. Mm. So he's basically saying in a nice way, um, I'm not going to be an imposter. You know, so that's, that's a great lesson. But... Now we get to this stage where we have these rapid-fire questions that Claire, who's key uh, key part of Telling Money, she just loves to put these in, but um, I'm going to ask them today. So it's Go going to be it. fast and it's going to be just whatever you want, but I'm going to say questions to you like, I won't rest until... I won't rest until um, everyone in Australia understands the power of their money. Fantastic. Financial freedom is... Financial freedom is being able to make a decision without having to worry about the finance. And it's the absence of financial stress. That's so true. Always invest in. Always invest in something that's going to leave the world better than you found it. Good one. The future holds. Us, the future holds so much opportunity if only we're willing to take action and shape it. What's most important is? What's most important is 
thinking, well, what's most important for me is thinking about what the world my daughter is going to live in by the time she's my age. So true. And finally, what the world needs now. What the world needs now is more people to understand their power and to work together to shape the world. Well, we would love to work more with you, Kirsten, at Telemoney, and thank you so much for your time. It's not an easy topic. I think we all know that superannuation, we've all got a lot of learning to do, so um, I'd love to have you back at some other stage, and thank you for what you've shared with us today. Thank you so much. Happy to chat again anytime. Terrific. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music, and see you next time. Thank you.